In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, as we continue to move through the season of Epiphany, and before we know it, uh, Lent is going to be here. We are, we are getting close. I mean, it is later this year than it's been the past few years, uh, but Lent will be here in uh, just a, to about two and a half weeks, I guess. And so as we begin and have been moving through Epiphany and continue so, it seems like the texts begin to turn us a little more towards Lent on this Sunday as we anticipate Again, that Lenten season that will be here in uh, just a couple weeks' time. And so we begin tonight with Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, is so true of the prophets, not always, but often, brings a message that is both one of uh, judgment or perhaps uh, weightiness, if you will, and then at the same time, one of hopefulness. Uh, Again, the prophets often don't just come prophesying doom and gloom, though that is part of what God has called them and raised them up to do, but they also bring messages of restoration, uh, messages of healing, messages that not only Israel and Judah needed to hear at that time, but we too need to hear today. And so Jeremiah speaks to us this evening when he tells us that curse it is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So again, there's that normal kind of prophetic utterance of judgment or, um, if you will, the kind of darker side of human nature, that cursed is he or she who trusts in humans and makes their own flesh, is what the text is saying, his or her strength. And then he adds, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So Jesus gets at this in the Gospels, that our outer person is, is a response to our inner condition, right? And so here, Jeremiah is telling us, is cursed is anyone who trusts in his own flesh, in his own power, his own abilities, or, or to distrust their own lack of abilities, because it's the heart that would be indicating that. It was, it's the heart that turns away from the Lord and makes us trust in our own flesh, and this is a common story, one that we hear often, right? People will say things like, and I tried to do it in my own strength. And even that, if that's something as mundane as thinking like, here's a small household project, I can do this. And then before you know it, you're calling the plumber and the plumber names his price and you go, yes, that is perfectly fine. That is a true story for me in October, right? <laughs> I can hook up these new five new vanities and plumbing, no big deal. Yeah, I didn't get one done. Well, I got it done. It just never quit leaking. So I called the plumber, and he could have named his price, and he did, and I would have agreed to it, and I did. And we have not had a leak since then, and we have five working sinks. But again, it, it could be something that mundane, or it could be something much bigger than that. We often hear of, at least I often hear of pastors who talk about being called to ministry and then burn out at some season. I served under a pastor once. Um, in one of my past churches who had burned out after about nine years in his first church. And he said, I was just doing it all in my own strength. I was just in my power and I was burning the candle at both ends from a health standpoint. And eventually he crashed and he burned and it took quite a bit of time for him to recover from that. So again, cursed is the man who trusts in himself and makes his flesh his strength because his heart has turned away from the Lord. And that's, that's the problematic part. Right, if we're going to think about this in the spiritual sense of things, it's that the heart has turned away from the Lord. That seed of emotions, that seed of our uh, spiritual being, the heart has turned away from God and makes us trust in ourselves. 
And again, we, we do that, and our condition is the result from what we choose to put our trust in, right? So if, if we're trusting in, in ourselves and other humans and we make the flesh our strength, then that is what condition will result from that is the one of a turned heart, right? It's both a, it, the heart turns away and makes us trust in ourselves. We begin to trust in ourselves, which in turn can make ourselves turn away from our heart. But then Jeremiah says, again, the message of hope that the prophets often bring, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And it's tempting to miss the significance of this because Jeremiah is saying something that we know to be true. I imagine that most of us know, yes, blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. Yep, I get that. If you put your trust in God, you will be blessed. That doesn't mean everything is going to go great. doesn't mean life will not be without its challenges, but... God will see fit to bless us. And one who is trusting in the Lord has their heart turned towards the Lord, towards God. For Jeremiah goes on to say, the heart is deceitful above all things, right? So this, this heart that we have, this, this, again, seat of our emotions and seat of our spiritual life, it's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it, he asks. And then in good rhetorical fashion, he answers his own question, I, the Lord, search the heart, or at least I should say Jeremiah quotes apparently the Lord here, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every person according to his or her ways, according to the fruit of his or her deeds, right? So our heart is what needs to be turned to the Lord. The Lord will search it. He will test us. And according to the way in which our heart is pointed, that is the way that we will live our life. And cursed is the man who makes his own flesh right? That he puts his trust in his own flesh or her own flesh because that would be indicative of a heart turned away. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord because it's evidence of a heart that's pointed in the right direction. And so Jeremiah reminds us of the perversity of this faculty of the heart, if you will, the way in which our inner person can be turned away from God, pointed towards sinful things, fleshly things, and not turned toward God. And God knows it. You can't trick God. This is what I love about, you know, the Bible, is it reminds us again and again that you might get away with lots of things with other people, but you can't trick God. God knows your heart. So in one sense, it's, you know, easier just to not try to trick God, I think, right? And I mean, to be honest, I think as Anglicans, we have a good system for this because we prioritize confession. (laughs) So we say, don't try to hide from God, just confess those sins. Bring them forward. Receive forgiveness. Receive absolution. Right? God knows it anyway. There's no point trying to hide. So that's Jeremiah again. The perversity of the human heart and the way in which it's pointed matters. And if we skip ahead to our gospel reading tonight from the Gospel of Luke, this is called the Sermon on the Plain, not the Sermon on the Mount. Because literally Jesus was standing on a plain, not on a mountain. So this is Luke's kind of equivalent of the Sermon on the Mount, but at a different place. And, and here we have four blessings and four woes. So a little different than what is done when Jesus teaches uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but it is Luke's kind of equivalent of it. And Luke, and, and Luke here, it tells us that Jesus is announcing a whole reversal of affairs and a whole reversal of status for those who enjoy the benefits of life and those who are deprived of those benefits, right? So again, blessed are the poor, 
For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revalue and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Right? So you're blessed now, the present tense. You're blessed now, if I can bring in Jeremiah to say, when your heart is pointed in the right direction. You're blessed in your poverty, you're blessed in your hunger, you're blessed in your sorrow and your weeping, and you're blessed when people just hate you and don't like you. But woe to those who are rich, because the rich are receiving their consolation now. Woe to those who are full now, for they will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Right? So What Jesus is doing here rhetorically is he says, blessed are those who are experiencing these things now that most of us wouldn't sign up to experience because later you're rewarded for that. But woe if you experience those blessings now because later you will experience a poverty of those, a paucity of those blessings. Right? So again, this is, Jesus is saying like, look, your heart is what matters, right? Again, to pick up that Jeremiah language. And don't trust in yourself. Matter of fact, you're more blessed if you're poor, hungry, weep, and hated by people. You're blessed now for that. This isn't something that you have to make up for in your own strength. This isn't something you have to mourn about. Know instead that, again, from your heart of hearts, you can be honest about these things. You can live this way and receive God's blessing. But if you strive in your own strength or because your heart is pointing in the wrong direction to, to be rich, to chase after riches, to enjoy things now, to laugh now, then you will experience the absence of those things in the future. Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry, woe to the full. Blessed are those who weep, woe to those who laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, woe when people speak well of you. And these are not absolute categories, right? It's, it's, it's not our job to spurn God's blessing on us so that we don't live in poverty, per se, right? It's, 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 it's not our business to, to eat when God provides us food or to weep when we feel sad and those kinds of things. And often we can't even control if people like us or don't like us, right? But again, so we don't spurn God's blessing in order to somehow be, you know, like improperly poor or hungry or something like that. But should we find ourselves in those positions or at least in our spirit, if, we, if, we have, if we're poor in spirit, if we're hungry now, if we weep now, then God will bless us for those things. But if we strive after in our own flesh those things that make us rich and full and, and laugh and, and want to speak, people to speak well of us, then we're kind of getting our due reward now. So again, there's a whole reversal of affairs, counterintuitive, right? For those of us that strive to be honored and have the things now, Jesus comes along and says, no, that's not the point. And then Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, tells us that, well, first of all, none of this would matter if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul says, freeing us from the perverse waywardness of our heart and the deathly curse that we bear as a result Right? Three things, Paul tells us. Uh, not even Christ has been raised, right? There is no resurrection from, resurrection from the dead if Christ has not been raised. So if there's going to be any resurrection, Christ needs to have been raised. And of course, Christ has been raised, so there is a resurrection. Second of all, if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. And lastly, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see, this is the bridge between the two things that Jeremiah is talking about, to be a cursed person or a blessed person. 
or in Jesus' words, to be someone who's truly and properly hungry and someone who's properly weeping and properly mourning and not seeking the adulation of people. This is the way in which, because Christ has died for us, we are able then to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Right? So Paul reaches the positive conclusion when he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And because of that, we are able to turn ourselves in the right direction. That this problem of our heart being perverse in Jeremiah and wanting to point towards worldly things and fleshly things, that Christ's resur- death and then resurrection has made it possible for us to turn away from those things. Right? Jesus makes it possible for us to live counterintuitively. Right? Jesus makes it possible for us to seek the things that truly matter and not to strive after those things that are only of earthly value. Because that's what happens when we strive in our own flesh. We're only gaining those things that we are able to make happen. Now again, God may bless us. That's not the point. It's not that God doesn't work and doesn't bless us in that. But when we live out of our flesh, we strive after those things that perhaps God does not want for us. And to be honest, because our heart has turned away from the Lord, we often don't even know what's best for ourselves. But again, Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for us to live the blessed life, to be blessed people, people who trust in the Lord, and therefore, even though our heart is desperately sick, it can be healed, that we can have a confidence that our heart is pointed in the right direction and so that we can live rightly for God. Most of us love to create a false self. Most of us, whether we would acknowledge it or not, do care what people think of us. I'm exhibit A in this regard. I like to pride myself on the fact that I really don't care what people think of me. And in many ways, to be honest, I really don't think I do. But at the same time, I do. I like it when I get a good positive book review in a journal. I like it when someone says, hey, I read your book. I really enjoyed it. Most people who don't tend not to contact you and tell you that. That's also nice. But when I do hear those positive reports, it in fact scratches the proverbial itch of that false self. That sense that I, that I don't really just do this for God, though that's what I claim, but instead I do to some degree at least want the affirmation of others. So in those moments, I'm able to see the perversity of my heart, that I trust in my own self in some ways, to feel God's affirmation, to build myself up in front of others. But if I'm a truly blessed man, then I will live counter to that. And again, I think I try, we try, right? For many of us in this parish, we understand the way this math works. It's counterintuitive, right? That our real blessings and riches will come later. And for now, we try to walk faithfully to what God has called us to do to be the blessed people, as Jesus talks about, not to have God speak woe over us, to keep our heart in check so that we can be uh, blessed people before God and not cursed by him. But again, the heart is desperately sick. 
It's deceitful above all things. And so let me encourage us to take seriously, not just tonight, not just this week, not just in this season as we enter into Lent soon enough, but make it a regular part of our discipline to look at our heart, to ask, where is it pointed? In what ways have I created a false self? In what ways do I desire affirmation from others? In what way do I, do I want my riches now? In what ways do I want to be laughing now? And in what ways, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Again, we're not to do these things falsely. When God blesses us, we receive it as a blessing. But what are the things we can do to check our own spirit? And as I finish up, let me admonish you to something. The other day I had a student in my office and we were wrapping up an appointment and, uh, and I was in a hurry. And, I, and you'll, you'll see why in a minute. I was, I was in a hurry. And so as we were kind of wrapping up, I said, I'm going to stand up and start packing up my things while we wrap up. And the student was really great about it. And uh, she said, yeah, that's fine, Dr. Peters. And we were just finishing our conversation and I do certain things before I leave my office because I'm anal, you know that. I close my blinds so my books don't get bleached by the sun the next morning and those kinds of things. I was closing up my office and I was putting things and, and we were wrapping up and she said, oh, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm actually going to spiritual direction. And she said, oh, do you do that because you're a priest? And I said, no, I do that because I'm a Christian. And she looked at me and I said, I find spiritual direction to be incredibly beneficial because I sit across from someone faithfully every month who walks with me in my life, and I've been doing it long enough with my current spiritual director that he knows to, what to call me out on. <clears throat> he can see fairly quickly into the trajectory of my life as he listens to the Spirit, as he keeps track of now about nine or ten years of meeting together. And I realized that I hadn't stood in front of the parish and encouraged all of you. I say this to my students all the time, like, you should be in spiritual direction. It's great. I think everyone should be in spiritual direction. And so now I'm saying to you, everyone should be in spiritual direction. And a couple of our spiritual directors in the parish are thinking, yes, yes, you should, in fact, be in spiritual direction. But honestly, I do think when I really sit back and think about what is the way that I get some of the most honest feedback about myself, right, other than maybe from my kids or my wife and things like that, is it's in the spiritual direction time that I invest in each month. And I think without that, I would tend even more towards these things I've described. I would tend even more to wanting the affirmation of people now, to working in my own strength, because my spiritual director helps me see the work that God is doing and calls me out on what he senses to be the work that I'm trying to do in my own flesh. So that's not the only way to do it, but it's one way. So let me encourage you, if you're not in spiritual direction, to pray about it and to think about it as a discipline that you can engage in. Talk to Betsy, talk to Monica. They both know the spiritual direction world really well, mostly because they do it or teach it and supervise it. But as we think about the ways in which we can invite God into our life to instill in us discipline so that we can better manage our heart, that we can turn ourselves in the right direction, this is one way, but again, not the only way. Most importantly, again, as we, as we begin to think about the Lent season, as we begin to think about the way in which it calls us to self-examination, and prayer and repentance. May we even begin now to do that. Reminded that we are people who have a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And ask God to make it clear to us the ways in which we need to move from people who 
desire the cursings of God to those who desire the blessings of God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.